Thank you to Anna for leading us this evening. Just before we come to look at Psalm 131, I want to make a couple of announcements, mostly because I forgot to make announcements I promised this morning, so I really want to try and correct that. The UCB Bible reading notes, which are available here for members of our congregation or for any visitors to pick up free of charge, the new batch of those has just arrived, the batch for August through to October. So please take a copy with you as you leave this evening if you're keen to use those notes. They are free of charge, but there's a basket there for anyone who wants to make any donations. So please be aware that that pile is now out there in the vestibule. Out in the vestibule also are the mega quest invitations that I was telling you about this morning. We have got bundles out there uh, for each of the, the 20 closest streets to our church. Uh, I think about half of them went this morning, so there are about 10 or so bundles out there. If you'd be willing to take half an hour sometime to go and deliver these invitations uh, to our, our children's club in August uh, to those homes, please just take one away with you and make use of that sometime soon. The only other thing to, to flag up here this evening is to let you know that as of Friday of this week, I'm going to be on holiday for three weeks. So if you need any help with a, a pastoral matter, please contact Desmond McKibben, our clerk of session, and he will point you to a minister who could help you. Thank you for your patience. Psalm 131 we read it there and you noticed that it had three verses. And some of you made a calculation. You thought, well, if he preaches for 15 minutes on a psalm that has eight or nine verses, this is looking promising. We'll be out in time to find out who, who won the Open, maybe watch the end of the playoff. Psalm 131 is a short psalm, but it, it, it has some wonderful things to teach us. Let's pray. Father, as we approach this psalm, we know that we have much to learn here. Lord, help us not to be deceived by its, its brevity and its punchiness. Help us instead to be aware that right here, the living God speaks. Lord, help us to listen and to pay attention to what you would say to us this evening. Amen. The Christian life is in constant need of maintenance. Our life with God needs looking after. C.K. Chesterton once put it like this, if you leave a thing alone, you leave it to a torrent of change. If you leave a white post alone, it will soon be a black post. I'm not much of a gardener, and I don't mind admitting that. I'm a hedges and lawns only guy. I look after the hedges and lawns and everything else that happens in our garden. If it's going to happen at all, it'll only be because Claire, my wife, is willing to do it. Even without being much into gardening, I'm beginning to understand one of the mysteries of gardening. Pruning. The first time I saw this, I thought, this is terrible. 
This is like an annual act of mutilation. I couldn't understand why these otherwise quite pleasant people would charge into their gardens with a smile on their faces, with with scissors or clippers in their hand, and start cutting back the plants that they claim to love. Since then, I've come to understand the practice a little bit better. I've seen what happens to a plant when it goes unpruned for several years. The plant gets bigger and bigger. And in many ways, it it reaches further and further. In many ways, it looks more impressive. And to anyone who doesn't know any better, the whole thing looks great. But then in the spring or in the early summer, just that time when you're expecting the place to, to burst with blossom and with color, the blossoms are few and they're small and scrawny. And of course, there's a reason for this. The plant has grown beyond the size which it's intended to be. Its branches are too far from its roots. The plant can't grow a decent blossom and it needs a good pruning. Psalm 131. Please have it open in front of you, short though it is. It's a a maintenance psalm. This psalm serves the same purpose in the life of a person of faith as secateurs do in the hand of the gardener. Now you're impressed, I, I know what secateurs are. Um, that's, a, that's a recent thing for me, actually. This psalm does the same thing that those secateurs do. It prunes away the stuff that looks good to people who don't know any better. It reduces the distance between our hearts and our roots in God. Two things are pruned away in the psalm. Unruly ambition but also infantile dependency. So this psalm is the prayer of a person who doesn't want to, A, get too big for his boots, or B, a person who recognizes that the time has come to cut the apron strings. Firstly, let's let's look at the unruly ambition. The psalmist says that he's cut this out of his life. Look at verse 1. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. These words are enormously difficult for people like us to take on board. It's not because they're difficult to understand. I hope the the meaning of them there is pretty clear. It's just that they go so much against the the pervasive notions of our culture. Living in the Western world at the start of the, the third millennium, ambition, unchecked ambition, is the air that we breathe. We're surrounded by a way of life where where betterment is understood as getting more wealth, getting more power so that we can have more stuff and maybe, maybe even become famous. Celebrity is the goal of our culture. I'm sure you can see that. Why else would we be so obsessed with our celebrities when they appear on TV and and sell magazines and newspapers? Everyone wants to get more 
and everyone wants to get to the top, and it doesn't really matter what it's the top of. Now, there's nothing new about that temptation, is there? Isn't this what got Adam thrown out of the Garden of Eden? Unruly ambition, overstepping his rightful place. Isn't this what got Satan kicked out of heaven? Wanting for himself that which is only God's. Unchecked ambition isn't new, but what is fairly new is is the level of acceptance that it has in our culture we think it's all right. We, we hardly notice that there could be anything possibly wrong. There's an old story, the story of Dr. Faustus, that served many generations as a warning against this unruly and unchecked ambition. Dr. Faustus, John Faustus, he sold his soul to the devil in exchange for unlimited knowledge and power. He made a pact for 24 years he would be able to act without any limits. He'd be able to act in a godlike way. And so for 24 years he did just that. But at the end of the 24 years was damnation. Now for generations that story has been told and retold by playwrights, novelists, poets, and it's been told as a warning against overstepping our our rightful domain, against overreaching ambition. It's a warning against a person created in the image of God, leaving that identity aside and instead seeking to be a God. Friends, our lives are only lived well when they're lived in the terms for which we were created. God loves, and we're the people whom he loves. God is the creator, and we are the people whom he's created. God reveals himself, and we are the people he's created himself, revealed himself to. God gives commands, and those commands are for us. Being a Christian means to accept the terms of our creation. We accept that God is our creator and our redeemer. We learn that we are not God and we stop trying to play God. We humbly wait for the likeness of God to be formed in us. That's what the psalmist has recognized here in verse 1 of Psalm 131. In effect, he's saying, I won't try to run my own life or the life of others. That's God's business. I won't try to create the meaning at the center of the universe. God's already done that. I won't strut around noisily, expecting to be treated as the center of my home, as the center of my workplace as the center of my church. Instead, I'll try to work out where I fit in, what it is that God has called me to, and I'll do that work he's given me. My heart is not proud, O Lord. 
My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great things or things too wonderful for me. Where does that leave us then? If we're not to be proud, arrogant people, what are we to be? Are Christians to be timid, cringing, insecure? Are we to be doormats? Well, not quite. Look at verse 2. I've stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned mother with, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. In verse 1, the psalmist sets aside unruly ambition, and in verse 2, infantile dependency is what he's pruning from his life. Again, I think this might surprise us as we enter into it. This might surprise us what God's word is suggesting here. Allow me for a moment to tell you about my two daughters and let me focus particularly on the relationship that they have with their mother. Sophie is two years old. She loves asking her mum questions and more questions and more questions. She loves joining in whatever work Claire's doing. So if Claire's using the hoover, she wants to go with the hoover, as she calls it. If Claire's dusting or wiping, she'll find a wee cloth and join in. Uh, Sometimes she wipes the windows, which are clean, and they're not clean when she's finished wiping them. But that's, that's what she loves to do. Sophie loves to be with her mum. Sometimes, and I've seen this a few times recently, She'll, she'll sidle up beside Claire, take her by the hand and say, Mommy, come with me and read me a story. Sophie loves being with her mum and learning from her. My other daughter, Ruby, is four weeks old. And she's a very different relationship with her mum. As far as Ruby's concerned, Claire's simply a dinner ticket. Claire provides her with breakfast, with lunch, with dinner, lots of other snacks in between, any time, day or night. And if Claire doesn't give her what she wants, she shouts the house down. Sophie's into her mum. Ruby's also into her mum. But she's only into her mum for what she can get out of her. Now, I'll tell you about these two daughters of mine as a way of illustrating the point the psalmist's making here in verse 2. And this might surprise us. The psalmist is making a distinction here between the kind of relating to their mother that my two daughters do. The psalmist says we're to be growing from being like Ruby to being more and more like Sophie. We're to grow from being a a suckling to being a weaned child. A Christian isn't supposed to be like a newborn baby, shouting the house down, unless God gives us exactly what we want when we want it. A Christian's like a weaned child, enjoying the company of God, 
happy just to be with him. So the psalmist making the point here that the Christian life isn't simply about what we can get out of it. And so much of our our thinking is caught up in this. When the evangelist preaches, he tells you what you can get out of it. You can be saved. You can have eternal life. Do we ever move beyond that? Are we ever weaned? Do we ever come to that point in our relationship where we love God for the love of God? For being with him. For being his children in his company, enjoying his presence. This is what the psalmist is talking about here. He's talking about a time when the center of gravity in our lives shifts. And we're no longer at the center. Our needs don't dominate. God dominates. Those of you who have had children, particularly maybe mothers who have weaned children, you'll know that that transition from a a sucking infant to a weaned child isn't a smooth one. Eugene Peterson points out just how stormy and noisy this is. He says it's no easy thing to quieten yourself. Sooner may a person calm a sea or rule the wind or tame a tiger than quieten oneself. It's a pitched battle. I've seen it with our children and I've seen it in my own life. Whenever a baby's denied the comforts that they expect, they fly into a rage or they fall into a sulk. They struggle and they sob. And this is their first great sorrow. They're in real, real distress. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, he understood God's purposes in this painful process. He said, to the winged child, his mother is his comfort, though she has denied him comfort. It's a blessed mark of growth out of spiritual infancy when we can forgo the joys which appeared to be essential and can find our solace in him who denies them to us. Maybe for some of us this evening, this is making sense of our experience of our walk with God. Maybe you're wondering tonight why you don't feel anymore the way you did when you began to walk with Jesus Christ. You're wondering whether it means, am I no longer a Christian? Has God abandoned me? Have I done something terribly wrong? And Psalm 131 gives at least one answer to those questions. And that answer is that that no, God hasn't abandoned us. We haven't done things terribly wrong. We're simply being weaned. The apron strings are being cut. God is allowing us to, to stand on our own two feet. And to make our way in the world. We're free to come to God or not as we choose. Let's finish just now for this evening. 
when Spurgeon preached this psalm, he said that it was one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. I think he's right. We're always prone in the life of faith to fall off the path on one side or the other. On some occasions, we think we're doing rightly. And we we get to be proud. We get to be self-sufficient. Ambitions swell up in us without any, any sense of control or check on them. And on other occasions, we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed. We panic. We give up all responsibility and we protest loudly. So we're alternatively either rebellious runaways or we're whining babies. We need to to mature. We need a pruning work of God in our lives. We need God to prune away unruly ambition and to give us in its place a godly humility. We need God to prune away infantile dependencies and to grow in us a security in him and a trust in him that he has our best at heart. The last line of our psalm shows us the way to this humble and secure life. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Friends, can we hope in God? Can we let God be God? Can we stop trying to be God ourselves? Can we stop clinging to God and missing out on all those opportunities of growth and maturity that God would see in us? He he longs to see us move from infancy into childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. Can we become what we really are, children of God, Can we grow in him? Grow in likeness to his son, Jesus? Can we live the life that we were created for? Let us pray.